Now it's good to be back at the Aberdeen Conference. Uh, it's good to be sharing with Mother Doug- Brother Douglas again. Uh, last year it was uh, uh, Hebrews, and this year it's Romans. Two wonderful epistles in the New Testament. Uh, I remember some years ago we'd seen a little bit of blessing in the Gospel, and few were saved, and my brother were wondering what two epistles we should do, and we decided Romans and Hebrews and uh, proved to be very useful. I trust that these two days proved to be useful times and times of searching, times of uh, when we're spoken to by God. Now, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse number 9 to the end of the passage. (coughs) Romans 9, and we'll read to the end of the passage. Let love be without dissimulation, that is, without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave, cling to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honour, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit serving the Lord rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation continuing instant in prayer distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality bless them which persecute you bless and curse not Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good and that will do with God's richest blessing now Brother Douglas has given a little summary of the book of Romans and I don't want to go back over that because it's, he's positioned it well this last little section here chapters 12 to 16 where we are dealing with the practical living of Christians and uh, we've dealt with the great doctrinal section sin has been a major theme from chapters 1 to 8 and then we've dealt with a Jewish problem in 9, 10, 11 and now we're dealing with the great problem of living it out here in 12 to 16 and the brother's taken us through the first nine verse, first 8 verses of this chapter and he's pointed out there's a transition of the personal responsibility through to a more corporate assembly responsibility that begins to emerge and by the time we get to the end of the chapter 
you will discover it's more a community, a society responsibility that begins to emerge. So you can see the ever-widening circles that we live in as Christians. First of all, my consecrated life, then the assembly, and then the world at large. And so you can see that in these verses, verses 1 and 2 is personal responsibility, verses 3 through to 13, I believe, is assembly responsibility, and then 14 to the end, what I'll call community responsibility. In the section that I've read, though, it almost reads a little like, like the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. These 24 exhortatory little statements, a list of them, and they're all, almost all got three words, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. <clears throat> and like Romans 16, which we'll come to in Tomorrow God Willing, which is a list of names, whenever you get a list, I tend to find anyway, the saints are quite with you for the first two or three and then they glaze over about four or five. So uh, I would think to work out how that's not to happen today. But you know, these, this list here of these exhortatory type statements, I, it strikes me that the, the theme that runs through it is love. Love. Love for my brothers and sisters. Really that's verses 9 down to verse number 13. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, I really believe this. Somebody gave me a book to read uh, not, not that long ago, about four months ago, when I was preaching in another place on the history of assemblies in Aberdeen. And I enjoyed reading it at night. And uh, I'm thinking here as we, as we gather, God has done a mighty work in this city over many years, and many decades, and many centuries, and has preserved testimony in this city to this day, the beginning of 2023. And I believe that in those verses, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, those verses, if they were worked out in our Christian experience, it would revolutionise assembly testimony in Aberdeen. I really believe that. Love for my brothers and sisters. What does it look like? Well, we're going to see that. But then comes an extraordinary section from 14 to then, which is love for my enemies. Love for the people that don't like me. Love for the people that are against me, that are hostile to me. You see... Christian ethics goes so far above the snow line of human ethics. Human ethics might go as far as love your friends and love your neighbours. But to love your enemies is a different thing altogether. And the Lord taught it. And that's what we've got at the end. It's how far our love goes. It's the ever-widening circles of Christian love as it's seen. And it starts here in the corporate aspect, I believe, of the local company there in, in Rome. So let's read these together. And verses 9 to 13, I'll just see, uh, instead of dealing and um, putting a caption against every one of the exhortations, I'll put a caption against each verse. So I'll have you five little captions just for what I believe it should be for the love for our brothers and sisters and the first one is very clear be genuine look at verse 9 let love be without dissimulation let love be not hypocritical let love literally the word is without a mask (coughs) without a mask you've all seen the actors wearing a mask in fact the word that's often used to translate it sincere the Latin is without wax so that's what the actors used to wear, wax, didn't they? Sometimes you'd get a vase and if there was a little crack in it, they'd put a little bit of wax down and they would sell it off. And the purchaser wouldn't know, it was a flawed thing. And, that, and the actors wore masks. <clears throat> and you see, they were just presenting something that wasn't themselves. Now that's very searching, isn't it? Because that's actually sometimes how we behave. 
We speak about the young people's social media profiles, how that sometimes it presents a persona that's not true of themselves. But those of us who are a bit older, that's been true of us all our life, that sometimes we put a front up and we put a mask on and people are not seeing the real thing. Now, as Scots, you know, we, we don't like it when people get too flowery and too sucking up to us. You know, sometimes it can happen even as preachers. Somebody comes a bit up to you and says, that was wonderful, brother, really enjoyed that. And it can, that's all right, but they keep going. And There's just something about the Scottish psyche, you know, you, just, you begin to brace yourself, you know, well, what's coming next? And just sometimes, you know, behind it, there's a false motive. And just by the, by the way, I'm not saying we shouldn't praise one another. In fact, in Scotland, we should be telling the reverse, reverse. We need the reverse. But what I am saying is that sometimes we can be saying nice things to people, but in our hearts we don't love them. And that's what it's getting at here. It's about authenticity. You know, I believe that in preaching, I, I really do believe this, you can smell reality. And I believe it's true in assembly life. See, when you're working with your brothers and sisters week in, week out in assembly, you know what reality looks like. Genuineness. Authentic Christian love. They love their brothers and sisters because you can see it and you can smell it and you can, you can taste it, actually, sometimes. <clears throat> and there's just something here about, you see, the world that you and I are in is fake. Utterly fake. I know it was Mr. Trump that got the thing about fake news and all that, but there is an awful lot of fake news out there, and there's a lot of faking out there, and there's a lot of people saying one thing and doing another. You go into any office and just watch the office dynamics, you know. There's plenty counterfeit. But as Christians, we've to be displaying love to one another without any hypocrisy, without a mask. Now, the scriptures is full of people who did the opposite. I mean, I could go through this Bible of mine and just begin to think of people that showed the opposite, but, you know, I'd be here a long time. What about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5? They didn't need to do all that, did they? What a disaster it was at the end. They could have sold that field and used the money for whatever purpose, but, you know, they were trying to put on something, weren't they? Simon, in Acts chapter 8, he really wanted power and place, didn't he? He wasn't real. And sometimes in assembly life, you know, will happen. There'll be people, and they'll really want power and place, and they're not real. So there's something about authenticity here. Deotrophies. 3 John 3. We could keep going. But the point is this. Just take that literal rendering of that word sincere, without wax. Take the literal rending of this word, without a mask. And ask yourself, is my love real? You see, love's been a big, big theme in the Roman epistle. Not just God's love to me, even my love to him. You get that in Romans 8, that all things work together for good to them that love God. A verse that needs explained, which I don't have time to explain. Please do get it in context, understand it. But the Romans chapter 5 begins a great theme of the love of God. God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you know what? This, this, this book before me has been dealing with the fact that we are just objects of divine grace who have, were just sinners saved by grace. And God loved us and sent his only son into this world to die for us. And now he's asking us to love one another in response. Is it too much to ask for that love to be authentic and real? And that when we say things to people, we mean it. 
that's really the essence of where that verse goes I think let love be without dissimulation abhor that which is evil cleave to that which is good you see love is robust it's not we'll see in the next verse it's not rough but it's robust that is to say it, 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 can ab- it weds itself to that which is good and it regards evil with a horror that's the thought the word cleave there is the idea of a strong adhesive a glue and what does it glue itself it glues itself to things that are good and so that the Christian is not a fake there's something solid about them they love their brothers and sisters and I tell you brothers and sisters that is the critical feature of how assemblies flourish you can have all your doctrines I've been doing the difference between propitiation, justification, reconciliation and I've been loving it by the way and I hope you start to love it too because those gospel words mean an awful lot to all of us but I'll tell you what if we don't work out in love there will be no assemblies to preach to it's a demonstration of what we have in Christ but then look at the next verse not just be genuine love is real but verse 10 be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honour preferring one another so here's our brotherly love word Again, it gives us the idea of the theme that's here. <clears throat> what I would say about this verse is be gracious. Be gracious. Uh, we mentioned in the last um, verse that love can be robust. It weds itself to the good and rejects the evil. But it's not rough. The word is here, kindly affection, is tender affectioned. And this brotherly love, we, we know we've got different words for love, and we all love to go through them, you know, the agape and what. But this one's the love of a brother. And those of us who are in a family, I think we can get some idea of what it means. It might be just some idea, but, but we still have an idea of what it means. The love of a brother. There's something, oh, there's something beautiful about it. And, and really, we're bringing before us here just the, the graciousness, the respectfulness, the kindness that should be seen amongst us in honour, preferring one another. Love's respectful. Preferring one another means to take the lead in honouring. Outdo one another in showing honour. Count others better than ourselves. Our brothers have already been there in the first few verses of this chapter. Trying not to strive for preeminence. Not false humility either. But this idea of showing respect. Conducting others before you. You see how searching the word of God is, brothers and sisters. A consecrated life asks me to be gracious to you and for you to be gracious to me and not to be rude now we get a culturally as Scots we know how to we know how to put folk in their place there's no nation in the world can compete with us when it comes to this right? we know how to take a man down a peg or two an actual fact our humour reflects that the things we laugh at is very much reflective of that ability we have as Scots to tell folk how we feel about them now this verse is the polar opposite of that. It's saying that we as Scottish Christians have to know what it is to be gracious and kind and respectful to one another. Speak to your brothers and sisters with the tenderest tones. Give them the highest honour. Never be rude. You say, but well, you don't know what they're like. I've lived enough of this in my life to know a wee bit. Okay. Credit us, credit us all with, with, with maybe some experiences to understand that we're not living in a perfect world and there's no perfect assembly represented here, I understand that but there is never a cause for rudeness 
that's what they say and that's why it's so searching and that's why when we do make a mistake with one another we should be ready to give that word out that we often find difficult it's called sorry because it's so critical in assembly life almost, I would say 50% of the issues amongst us would be resolved with just that word sorry because you see this verse tells me that no matter who you are you're my brother and my sister in Christ and I have to be kindly affectionate towards you and so the tender affections of the blood relative not now natural blood relative but the blood that was shed at Calvary's cross and forged in the flames of Calvary the relationship that you and I have that's eternal based on the death of our Lord Jesus Christ do you remember in 1 Corinthians 8 when Apostle Paul speaking about foods and all the rest of it the, the problems that Jewish people had with particular types of food he says remember that brother that you're maybe just despising a little he's a brother for whom Christ died keep that before you be respectful the world around us is rude it's rude on its phones it's rude in the office it's rude in the schools it's rude in the universities people tend to be pretty cutting their humour is sarcastic not the believer now you remember the Christians were always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies says Titus well that means that if you were a Christian and you came from Crete you had to make sure you told the truth because you've been brought up in a society where they're told lies a lot I would say that in Scotland the cultural problem is that we can sometimes be rude to one another so we as Christians have to be aware that that creeps into assembly life so we're respectful that's the change that comes through the gospel look at the next verse verse 11 be genuine, be gracious what were we going to say about this verse not slothful in business business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord rejoicing in hope, I'll take the last first clause of verse 12 and I'll add it into verse 11 because I think it, it keeps more in keeping with it here that word there, fervent in spirit is literally to be aglow so that's what I'm going to put across this verse to be aglow hard-working, enthusiastic, joyful, red-hot for the Lord. You know, something that I really think is very important in Christian life, it's called enthusiasm. Now, not a, not a false enthusiasm. Not a kind of plastic praise that, you know, where they just all burst out with words and, 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 and it's, it's not, there's nothing real about it. No, but there's just something about the, this here, be a glow in the spirit, fervent in the spirit. There's something here about the, the, the way that we conduct ourselves. That word there, not slothful in, in, in zeal, really. Not slothful in zeal is a literal word. I think the RV puts in diligence, not slothful. They're hard workers. Hard workers. I remember, you know, when I was uh, just about 17 years of age, a man that I knew had a, a, an industrial estate, a little bit of a field that he wanted landscaped. And I thought I could make a bob or two of it. And I told him I'd give him a price to get a landscape. And I knew all I had to do was hire a rotavator and get one or two friends from school along and we would get this done. And uh, I gave him a price, it was accepted. I got a couple of school friends along. And, but I made a fatal mistake when I employed them. I gave them an early rate. And I remember being taught my first lesson. And I saw them lying on their backs. And I saw them using the rake like this here, right, okay? Of just what slothful in business looked like. <clears throat> Now, the business here is not your work, and it's not your schoolwork, and it's not your university studies. This is spiritual work here. But in assembly life, you can get lazy people. You can. 
In most assemblies that I go to anyway, I don't know if there's the different to where you go, there's actually quite a few people who do a lot of work. <clears throat> Are you one of them? Well, this verse is really saying, you know, that there's something about the energy and the fervency. Who are you serving? You're serving the people of God. No, you're serving the Lord in this verse. It's the Lord's assembly. You say, I'm the only one there when it gets opened up. Good. You're serving the Lord. I'm the only one there to put the chairs in. Good. You're serving the Lord. When it comes to visiting, you know, there are very few. Good. Serve the Lord. You know, there are very few exercised in worship. Good. You serve the Lord. The Sunday school's hardly there, but you know, we try and pick up a few children. Good, you're serving. Now, there's something about fervency, energy, exercise, hotness. You know, I also believe it comes into our preaching, you know. Sometimes, you know, as we try to give younger men help who are starting out in gospel preaching, and everything they're saying is good. And they've got all their points, and Christ is definitely being preached. And there's no doubt that they're being told that they're what sin is and they're explaining the cross and these things are being taught but there's something missing and they're somehow not in their message there's something about reality fervency sinners are going to hell and need to be told it many women are dying in their sins and they're a wonderful saviour for them and the way they speak about the Lord is very important you know the way we speak about Christ is very very important and there's just something here about being a glow in this way love is living, is active that's what it says. And believe that there. Red hot. And it does rejoice. It rejoices in hope. It rejoices in hope. By the way, this has been a theme in the Roman epistle. You remember back in Romans chapter 5, it says, Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Well, he's just picking up the themes he's already, he's already started. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And back in chapter 5, we were in the Bible reading there on Friday, back in Glen Craig. And we were just saying about that verse. The glory of God, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. We were saying, do you remember it says in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When you were unsaved, you were, you, were, you, were fall, you were falling short and you were continuing to fall short of the glory of God. See, God had made man in his image and after his likeness to display his glory. And now you were a failed, miserable reflection of it. But thanks be to God, he not only saved you from your sins, and he not only constituted you righteous and justification, he not only changed your status to one of friendship, he took away the enmity, he's done something even better, he's given you the Holy Spirit of God, and enabled you and strengthened you, and empowered you. And now he's whetted your appetite through this great anticipation of hope. Hope in scripture is always an anticipation of something. But it's a fixed assurance as well. There's nothing hopeless about it. Nothing doubting about it. A fixed certainty of what looking forward. What does the Holy Spirit spring within us of what we're looking for? The day when I've got a body like into his own body of glory. And I will, body, soul and spirit, fully reflect the glory of God himself. Do we not long for that day? When this body of this humiliation will be transformed like into his own body of glory. And the hope we're rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, we've been given great hope. Great hope. And this is what gives us a, 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 a glow in our spirit when we recognise what we have. Now, we'll leave that verse and we'll come to the next verse. Verse 12. <clears throat> be genuine. Be gracious. Be a glow in the spirit. Now, what about this verse? Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. I'll put across this. Be guided by God. Be guided by God. <clears throat> 
see, love rejoices in tribulation. That's a strange thing that you get in the Roman epistle. That it starts off in chapter 5. I remember our brother Ian speaking on this. I can't remember where it was, Ian, but I remember you taking this up in Romans 5 once. This strange section, verses uh, 3 and 4 of Romans chapter 5, which happens here again. We're rejoicing in hope of the glory of God, and then we're rejoicing in tribulation and in distress. See, that's counterintuitive. How many Christians do you know that rejoice in tribulation? Pressures, difficulties, trials. And Paul goes on to say, we realise that in the difficulties and in the pressures and the trials of life, there's a higher and nobler purpose that produces experience. Experience, hope and so on. Patience, experience, experience, hope. In other words, we recognise that in the difficulties and the trials of life, that there are nobler and higher purpose to all. They're not just haphazard things that happen to us. That behind it all, God has a purpose for it. To produce something for his glory in us. Tell you, brothers and sisters, some of us, that's what's kept us in the trials and the difficulties, to know that behind it all is a higher purpose. And he says here, glorying, patient in tribulation. One of the things it produces is a calm, serene sense that God's behind it all. Circumstances we didn't want, but God's behind it all. And what does it do? It makes us pray, continuing, instant in prayer. Again, this idea of a, a, a persisting and an adherence to a thing is, is behind that word, continuing instant. It's the same word, incidentally, that we love in Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly. That's the same word here. That the prayer is not a spasmodic exercise for the believer, just to get excited from time to time, but a constant burden to seek God's presence, because we need Him. We need Him. See, the Christian life needs guidance. The Christian life needs support. And where are we going to get it from, brothers and sisters? From our God. From our God. And that's really the heart of that verse. Hang on, assembly. It doesn't have a weekly prayer meeting. What would you think of that? Do you think that's a total disaster? It's quite clear, Acts 2.42, that the early, early assembly... Early assemblies that continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the breaking of bread, and in the prayers. Brothers and sisters, when they say that the prayer meeting is the prayer is the powerhouse, they really, we really mean it. We need God. And if we are going to make any spiritual progress, individually and corporately, it's time to pray. Can I say gently, we've let a lot, let a lot of ground go. I believe in assembly testimony, we've let a lot of ground go. And we need to get back to the book, brothers and sisters. It's time to get into God's presence and search whether these things are so that we're practicing. And search and see if the way we're living is according to God's holy book. And so I take it there's something here about the joy and suffering and joy and tribulation and the rejoicing that we have, recognizing that God puts us through experiences to produce something for his glory. Sorry about this. <clears throat> now, let's say something about the last verse to do with the love of our brothers and sisters. <clears throat> verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. I'll just put over this. Be generous. 
So starts off be genuine, be gracious, be a glow in the spirit, be guided, be generous. You see, love is rich and ready to distribute to the needs of God's people. When we get to chapter 16 tomorrow, I will be pointing out that of the list of names in that chapter, there was hardly one of them was a Roman. There was Persians, there was Greeks, there was Hebrews, there was Jews, but they were almost all immigrants that he mentions. They've travelled across and they're living in Rome, and what a blessing they're having to be to the assembly testimony there. They were getting hounded from city to city. Some of it was uh, through Rome's effects, some of it just through the, no doubt, the economic situation of the day. But the point is that people were seeking shelter from fellow believers on a regular basis. And what is quite clear, the early church felt it was actually not a problem. I think it's J.B. Phillips who says, never grudging a meal or a bed to them who are in need. He's got a good, we've mentioned J.B. Phillips a few times, this paraphrase, he's quite good, you know, putting a a good few things in a, a few short words. And the point is this, that that's what the early Christians did. They looked after the need. They looked after the necessity of saints. There's people here, and I know, that you've spent your lives looking after God's people. We salute you. We need you. You're essential. Absolutely essential to the work. But brothers and sisters, although there is a gift of giving, and our brother Robert, uh, brother Douglas has definitely handled that well, this isn't a gift. Now, this is thought to be generally true of all Christians. This is the Christian life. This is what brotherly love looks like. What do we look like? It looks like this. Distribute the necessity of things given to hospitality. In other words, it's the absolute polar opposite of a self-indulgent life. That body that's consecrated to the Lord now wants to help others. And it will open homes, and it will open hearts, and it will open hands, and it will do what it can to help people who are in need. You know when people get saved? You say, well, what we want them to do is turn up at the morning meeting, go home again, come back to the prayer meeting and the ministry meeting, and then go home again, come back to the gospel meeting, and then go home again, and then come to the midweek meeting, the prayer meeting, and the Bible reading, and we'll all be happy. That's not what happens. Okay? They need looked after. They've got all sorts of questions and difficulties. Some of it might be quite practical. Some of it actually might be to do with their employment. Some of it might be to do with their health. But there are difficulties about the, the scriptures and supporting it. I hope you can find, no matter what your economic situation is, enough to give them a cup of tea in the house. A bit of time with them. You see, brothers and sisters, we have become so conditioned in our society that we hardly know how to do it at times. It's time to change. If conferences are where God speaks to us, it says very clearly here, given to hospitality, distributing the need of the saints. Simon the Tanner, he must have been a poor man. Eh? I often wonder about Peter up there, and it must have been stinking for him. Reading his Bible up there on the top of the roof, and Simon, but Simon the Tanner gave him a bed. And Peter loved him for it. And mind you, a mighty thing happened there. The gospel went to the Gentiles from that very home. That was the place he was instructed to leave for Cornelius. Anyway, enough. The point is this. This word given to, by the way, is not strong enough in our King James Version. We love our KGV, but that's not strong enough. That word there is to pursue. To pursue. Pursue it. This is not fulfilled by the odd social event you put on for the Christians. This is the pursuing of hospitality to meet the needs of God's people. 
in this last few years, COVID has had an effect on a whole range of fronts. But if you remember that you, it was tentatively you put on your conference last year, there was a bit of nervousness about as we started preaching here last year. You were, you were seen as a bit revolutionary putting your conference on last year. And you might remember the months leading up to it, you weren't allowed in folks' homes. And you, 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 had, you had a couple of years of pretty isolated situations. You know, the danger is, brothers and sisters, whatever we feel about how it was all handled, that just carries on. And nobody gets to know anybody else. They just turn up at the meetings and we go away again. And we live our lives in semi-isolation. That's not what Christianity looks like. Let's be clear. So, be generous and thoughtful. Be rich in your giving. So, these five points are to do with our love for our brothers and sisters. And in the context of Rome, it was very much in the assemblies there in the Roman city. Now, let's look at this radical thought here, that verses 14 to 21 is to the love to the enemies without. At least I can't understand verse 14 any other way. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Paul is saying, be a blessing, be different, and be radically different. Love is radical. Christian love's radical anyway. God loved us when you and I were enemies. That's the Romans 5 teaching. We were at enmity against him. Remember, he did something about the enmity. He removed it. The Lord Jesus came and changed the situation altogether, didn't he? And so he's saying here, love forbears graciously even to our enemies. The Lord Jesus says, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them that despitefully you. Now most of us when we read a verse like that there, we just squirm. Because we recognise that this is high level teaching. But it's still in our Bibles. The resentment of nature must die. And the Christian in Rome who maybe showed some solidarity with a martyr no doubt came under severe persecution. No doubt they were vilified. I'm sure that many of them were harmed physically. They would certainly be harmed verbally. There's many Christians today, you know, brothers and sisters, and some of us have been in parts of the world where it's still the case that there is physical violence and killing of Christians. And what we love about these believers when we meet them, when we see them, is just how much they love Christ. Just, they're just so full of generosity and love and he's really saying here that, that in the midst of persecution we should pray for the blessing of even our enemies now you think about our context you think of people that are absolutely opposed to Christianity think of somebody like Mr Dawkins I hope we pray for him and I hope we pray for his salvation but you may come to a bit closer to home and there may be someone in your house who's opposing you maybe someone in your school who's opposing you someone in your workplace and he's opposing you because you're a Christian you're asked to be a blessing to them now how you work that out is what these verses are going to show now, because it's quite a tricky thing it's not straightforward how to do that but one of the things you can do is pray for them and you can bless them and not curse them you can act in a way that doesn't vilify them over verse 15 I've just put be balanced not boorish what I mean by that rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep Uh, and this isn't you and I speaking about I don't think although it should be true of you and I 
I think he's speaking about the enemies. You see, it's in the context of those who are opposing. And you see, I, I, I think I can get this. Well, true love will genuinely rejoice even with those who oppose us. And true love will genuinely be responsive when even those who oppose us are going through terrible times. So see that person who opposes you. See that, that group of people that oppose you. See the individual, maybe a neighbour, maybe a next door neighbour, who is particularly against your faith. I hope that if their mother dies, you're there at the funeral. Or you're showing some response. There's a card. Some interest. You can weep with them that weep. I tell you, brothers and sisters, I have noticed, I see Eric Bejo in, in the audience. Now just remember a story as I think of this. I remember going to a home in Wick when we were out preaching. And the next door neighbour to a brother in the meeting, he was the local drug lord. And he took over half the street with his cars. It's the sort of place you could hardly believe it. Here was one house with, I don't know, 20 cars outside, and the rest of them just had one or two cars, you know, or maybe no car. <coughs> and he clearly took over the street, and everybody was petrified of hearing about it. But he was dying. And the brother in the meeting asked me to visit him. And the brother in the meeting had testimony with him. And I got in the home, and I got to read and pray with him. Another mother meeting men visited that man until he died. That's what I think I'm talking about here. People that were opposing the gospel and yet there was love shown to them in their hour of grief. They can weep with them and be loved. And I think this is high order stuff here. Rejoice. Mind you, it's one thing to, to weep, another thing to rejoice. You know, I think it's actually higher ground to rejoice with them that do rejoice. I think uh, to be actually say well done to someone when, when they're, they're being blessed, you know. There's just something very high here. The promotion of one who has been bitter against us, that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? But that's what we're asked to do here. We're asked to rejoice even when they're being honoured. And actually, I believe, brothers and sisters, if we as Christians behave in this way, it's so counterintuitive to the way the world thinks, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If you behave in that way, they will be spoken to. They must say, what's the reason of the hope that's within them? Now look at verse 16. I've just got over this, don't be a big head or a braggart. You see, it says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things. Condescend to men of low Be not wise in your own conceits. <clears throat> I still think the context is those who oppose us. I'm not saying these aren't true of you and me. I'm not saying, Be of the same mind one to another. is a million miles from Philippians 2.5 that you be like-minded. It isn't. But I don't think it's the same. I think as Christians, we have to see eye to eye. And we have to be like-minded. I think what it's saying here is, these people that oppose you, you have to live in harmony with them. And if I could explain the second clause, maybe we'll get the first clause. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Live in the current way of the lonely. Maybe that word accommodates better than condescend. Accommodate people. Don't be unapproachable. It's not saying that you've got to think like everyone else in terms of their idolatry and their sin. But you've got to be like them in the daily round of life. <coughs> you've not to be an isolationist. And, you've, and your humble lifestyle, you have to get down to them. 
in the area I come from, the mining community, you know, the miners, they went down the same pit as the rest of the men in the village that were in the assembly. They had their peace with the rest of the men in the village. They shared with them the gospel as well, by the way. And they got the, their bath in the pit baths like the rest of the men. And they went to their homes to study their Bibles to go to the meetings. They just did, they lived like them. The fishing community around these parts would know what I'm talking about too. Exactly the same story. There was something about living in the daily round and being accommodating of people. And if that's the meaning of the middle bit of that clause, then I understand the first bit to be the same, that we have to, when it says be of the same mind, I think it is, 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 is don't be highfalutin. Don't be putting yourself above them. In the daily round of life, show that you're working and operating in exactly the same way. And the last clause, be not wise in your own conceits. There's, don't be sticking your nose in the air. Never be conceited. Never feel that the days come when you've got nothing to learn. And you, you, should, you should really be afraid of that day. The day you think that you've just made it and the rest of the men around about you and women are, I've got a lot to learn from you. I'll just shut the door on Christian friendship, Christian counsel. Christian opportunity. See, you see how practical this is, brothers and sisters. This is brass tacks. This is coming down. I don't have to get the world into the world's football. I don't have to get into their idolatry. I don't have to go drinking with them in the pub. Never. I don't have to get involved in their social outings. But see when it just comes, start going to the, going to the school with the kids in the morning. See it's about going to the workplace. See about living in your street, in your community. Just being one of them. Yeah. We can all do that. The danger is we're actually living so isolated from them we hardly know what a Christian looks like. Brothers and sisters, that's where this verse is going. Searching us in relation to our daily walk with people around us. And if we come across as being minding high things, if we're a bit of a braggart or a bit conceited, or well, we'll have no opportunity to serve. Look at the next verse. <clears throat> By the way, let's uh, just say one thing here. Um, be not wise in your own conceits this idea that we, we club people around us little coteries of people that think like us a big danger in that big danger in that people that look like us and think like us and you know as a result of that we miss out on opportunities to serve people who are opposed to the gospel there's something about testimony <clears throat> now come to verse number 9 <clears throat> I've just put over verse number 9 don't blow up don't blow a fuse Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. <clears throat> Love doesn't retaliate. That's what it's saying here. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Everything in you at times, the old man particularly, the old flesh with him certainly, whenever something bad happens, there's a reaction that just comes up. At least it does in my mind. Maybe it doesn't yours, but you know, if someone just cuts me out, and on the motorway, it just cuts me off. <coughs> I tell you, you have to quick play, play. Because uh, the, the old flesh, you know, you would just want to take him, give him, a, uh, take him on, you know. There's just something here about when somebody does something. But love doesn't retaliate. And as people who live beside you constantly and actively pursue you, and it can happen in school life and in public life. And by the way, I'm not saying 
If someone is being bullied in school, you should put up with that. No, I really mean that. You should go to the authorities and get that sorted. These can damage us mentally. Nor is it, I'm talking about workplace bullying, I'm speaking about though the, the opposition that can come through the gospel, and it does come, and what we should be clear about here is love does not retaliate. The Lord Jesus says, you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And there is something about going the second mile and all the other things the Lord taught about in, the, in his, his, his ministry in the, on, the, on the Sermon on the Mount. Peter picks it up in his epistle, isn't it? Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing. And that's to the people of God he's speaking there in 1 Peter 3. But the point is this, there's something about the way that we react. And I often say that, that a man's reactions tell you more about their character than their actions. When they go and get stuff, how do I respond? If I just give tit for tat, evil for evil, then I'm certainly not living the consecrated life, that's for sure. I'm not loving in the way that Christianity is asking me to love. God loved me when I was evil. And there's just something here about the, the lack of retaliation. Providing for things honest in the sight of all men. I think it's the New English Bible that says, Let your aims be such that all men count honourable. They recognise in you that you are a transparent, honourable, forgiving, placid man and woman. There's just something they see in you. It's different. To all. Everybody else is flaring up. Everybody else is losing the, losing the plot because of the circumstances. But there's a serenity in your life and a calmness. You're not rejoicing in evil, no. You only rejoice in the truth, but you've definitely got a forgiving spirit. Look at verse number 18. I remember our brother Edmund Ewan saying that we should read it like this here. If it be possible... As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That the you is emphatic. The point is being said, if it be possible, is not referring to me. That if it be possible refers to our neighbours. It's Vincent and Vincent World Study saying, if it be possible doesn't mean if you can. If it be possible means if others will allow. Because you can get some people and they won't allow us. But he says, if it's possible, he says, what's What's true of you now is, your part is, your responsibility is, live peaceably with all men. It depends on us always to have a disposition of peace, even if we can never change our neighbour's behaviour. On your side, you live at peace with all men. Now brothers and sisters, we could bring that into the assembly too, it's not just for evil neighbours. Live your life in such a way that you bring about a current of peace in assembly life. No matter what comes his way, that your conduct, your behaviour, and your words, and your actions, produce peace. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Now there's times when we can't change opposing parties. That's why we've got the if it be possible there. And sometimes you've just got to flee. And you think of governments, we pray for our government, we're asked to do that in 1 Timothy 2. We pray for all who are in authority, we lead a quiet and peaceable life, and so on. That's the whole point. We want to live a quiet and peaceable life. And so in our conduct, we have to be wise about how we do this. But we must 
live our lives in such a way that it produces peace. Bring beauty to the world is what I've got across this verse. <clears throat> this leads on to the whole idea of vengeance. And dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather get a place into the wrath. And it's really speaking about this strong feeling of justice that we all have, that Paul is recognising. Paul recognises that when we see bad behaviour, there's something within us that wants something to happen to them. Something has to happen to that man. Something has got to happen to that woman. There's a strong feeling of justice. Paul says, now I recognise this feeling, but I want to direct it. I want you to remember that leave the wrath to God himself. Let God be the judge of this. Let God carry out the vengeance. And he quotes from the great song in Deuteronomy to prove this. And uh, I can't spend any more time on this because time's gone. Let me just deal with the last couple of verses. Verses 20 to 21. He says, be bountiful. Be good to all. He says, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire. On his. You know, love here is just revolutionary. It's just totally the reverse of worldly thinking. It overcomes kindness. There's just something here that just goes beyond anything else that we see in the world. You see, <clears throat> in the world that you and I are part of, the, um, what's being asked for us here is that our love goes beyond just putting up with evil, but trying to transform it by our actions. I know that some people believe that this is a, uh, verse number 20 is suggesting that some of the things you do and um, being good to people who oppose the gospel will bring greater judgment for them in hell I can't see that personally okay? it seems to be so counterintuitive to me to the, the explanation of the verses but uh, there is a, a variety of views one of the views is that the picture of coals of fire here that's on it here is a picture of repentance and people go back to an Egyptian ritual where a man would testify to his penitence by carrying a pan of burning charcoal around on his head some will go a bit further from that analogy and see it just a picture of shame when, when um, an enemy feels kindness when returned for evil. And others like me just see it as a picture of benefits. You know, just yesterday my neighbour came in with some shortbread. And you'll know that in Hogwarts that, that was that's a traditional gift. The other traditional gift, which has happened once in our house with my neighbour, is to bring coal. That was a traditional gift. It was a picture, hot coals was a gift. And I think that's the point. Keeping benefits on our enemies is really what's before us here. And it's plain that the, the, the thrust of this section here is that as we heap benefits on the people who are opposing us, we are not just putting up with evil, we're overcoming evil with good. And it might produce repentance in that man and woman's heart. It's up to God to do that, but we'll do everything in our power to make the way open for them to hear the gospel of the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, there's a world dying in their sins around us here in Aberdeen. And they need Christians to live in their community and in their assemblies for God. This is what love looks like. May God bless his word.